There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. Greg Whiting is a healer who helps leaders and entrepreneurs heal the anxiety, depression, chronic pain, and trauma they can't think or talk their way out of. Over the last two decades, Greg has helped thousands heal through his one-on-one practice and has certified hundreds of healthcare professionals in his methodology. His new online course and community now make healing practical and accessible to all. I thoroughly enjoyed connecting with Greg because we need to have more conversations around trauma and mental health just like this one. Welcome, Greg, to The Ethical Evolution. Thanks for having me, Bindi. Now, I'm super excited to talk to you today. Uh, For those people who don't know you, Greg, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Yeah, I work with entrepreneurs and leaders who are you know, really made of purpose, but they're lacking fulfillment um, and really starting to discover that uh, unresolved trauma is really kind of driving their leadership. And that's often showing up with a bunch of anxiety, depression, kind of the emptiness, the overwhelm of burnout. So I'm a healer. Yeah, I help people heal the unresolved trauma that they have not been able to think or talk their way through. Mm, amazing. And, you know, I was just saying to you off air, there's a, there's a reason why you and I cross paths and I think we're about to find out why. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I do a lot of work with a lot of trauma specialists and, you know, one thing that we often say is that you can't take people where you haven't been. So do you want to tell us your story, Greg? Absolutely. Yeah. And everything I share is, you know, the tools, the practices, the frameworks that I've had to piece together over the last 25 years to support my own healing. Um, I was working in the nonprofit world. So kind of, yeah, that same passion, purpose-driven drive um, that, you know, in my effort to save the world, I realized I was kind of destroying myself. Mm. Um, and, you know, I was suffering from chronic pain, anxiety, depression. I had a severe curve in my spine that just felt absolutely debilitating. And I was steps away from antidepressants and pain meds because that's just what I thought you did. And um, by serendipity, I was introduced to energy medicine through a friend who was a massage therapist. And at the time, I was living in so much chronic pain that the thought of having a massage, like, I did not want a massage that would be too painful. Mm. And when she introduced me to energy medicine, it was like, energy what? Like, I'd never heard of this. It was, you know, a completely foreign world to me. But I had enough trust in her, you know, an implicit trust in her that I thought, of course, let me give this a try. And 
kind of instantaneously realized I found something I didn't even know I was looking for. Mm. You know, I just felt my whole system just start to unravel. And it's like, okay, there's something to this. And, you know, continued to explore that with her for the next year and then started to dive into, you know, really intensive study for the next four years, um, which then kind of introduced me to the world of meditation. So then I found myself in India for about eight months And then from there started to, you know, take this energy medicine piece and this meditation mindfulness piece and deepen it through the world of yoga and Ayurveda, started to kind of piece all those practices together. And when I moved to San Francisco about nine years ago, um, one of my first students, as I was teaching kind of this integrated approach to energy medicine, you know, kind of infused with the somatic and mindfulness pieces, she said, and she's a therapist. She said, you know, you're really teaching a trauma-informed approach to healing. And while I knew I was healing my own trauma, like the word trauma-informed was not in my vocabulary. Mm. And so um, she said, you know, I teach the trauma course at the California Institute of Integral Studies. I'd like you to be my teacher's assistant so you can help the students with mindfulness. Um, but plus, then you can learn more about trauma. So I took her up on that opportunity and that's when I started to kind of build the trauma and neuroscience lens that I work with today. And so, so I kind of joke that I kind of stumbled into healing on accident and then I developed a trauma healing system on accident. Um, And so, yeah, so what I share comes right from my heart and from my own lived experience. I don't think anything there is by accident, Greg. You're definitely (laughs) on purpose, that is for sure. Um, And, you know, uh, one thing that not many people know is that I also have um, some uh, fair dinkum uh, scoliosis myself uh, and have been suffering the last few months quite a lot. And, and yes, I completely know what you're talking about going for a massage. You're like, oh, my God, Um, that's the only way I can survive at the moment. So I think we need to have a chat offline. Um, But but looking at, um, you know, things like mental health at the moment, um, you know, um, I'm I'm dealing with people every day in the work that I do who are struggling, like they are reaching a point where they're starting to reach out and they're going, look, I know I've got a problem because everything around me is starting to fall apart because I can't handle it anymore. Um, Are you finding that, particularly since the pandemic, that's been something that's increased even more? Yeah, I find there's definitely more of a demand. And I think um, there's more awareness, mm. right? And I'm hoping, and, you know, I, you know, we all just live in our circles and our bubbles, but I'm hoping that there's just more conversations around mental health. And, you know, a big part of my work is to really remove the stigma around, you know, I don't even like the words mental illness because mm. I think, what we might label as mental illness is really underlying trauma patterns that are at the root of it all. And when we think about having anxiety and depression, what if anxiety and depression are actually healthy responses to an unhealthy world, mm. an un, you know, healthy responses to maybe unhealthy circumstance? Um, so I like to kind of look at that a little differently. Um, and I think that can help people feel like, maybe healing is more accessible to them. That's maybe nothing's wrong with them, even though they are struggling with anxiety or depression. Mm. Uh, Mm. So, 
I'm seeing, I, you know, so I'm seeing more of a conversation around that. And I think that's inviting more people to kind of start to explore, you know, what might be possible for them in mm. terms of getting the right support. Yeah. I was recently um, at an event um, with Marianne Williamson and she was talking about, um, you know, anxiety and depression and everybody's mental state at the moment, you know, not just, you know, within our own communities, but globally, you know, like there's this energy and, um, you know, she said, everybody is suffering from anxiety. Everybody's depressed. Everybody is in the same boat. You know, everybody's got trauma to think you don't have trauma. Um, you, you must be, you know, on another planet (laughs) because seriously, we are all going through the same thing. And, and, you know, something that keeps coming through in the conversations that I'm having on the show recently is that healing can't happen in a vacuum you know, and you can't do it on your own. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's, yeah, you know, we're, we're social creatures, so we're not designed to live in isolation and we're certainly not meant to heal in isolation. And I think that's something that's really important to look at too, as much as I do support some clients one-on-one, I'm much more interested in kind of supporting kind of a peer led process of healing. And so, um, you know, cause we all, we all have a, a certain lens and a certain set of understanding and wisdom from our own unique lived experience. That's a value, you know, where I don't consider myself a trauma expert so much as I have an expertise in helping people connect to their own innate wisdom. And when each of us connects to our own innate wisdom, we have a a really robust and resilient capacity to heal trauma. So then we can become more of our, you know, more of an expert within our own lived experience. Mm. Um, And I think the community piece is a a big part of that, Um, you know, where we don't have to figure this out on our own or kind of in isolation just with one teacher or mentor or healer or therapist um, because yeah, this is, this is a community and a global crisis. Mm. Um, you know, this is, I think the good news is I think right now we're seeing the impacts of trauma, you know, politically, economically, socially, environmentally. And it's like, it's for all eyes to see you mm. Know? Mm. <laughs> where, gen- you know, decades past, it was still kind of like hidden in the recesses or we could see it, but no one was talking about it. And, um, you know, I think we have to see it to heal it. And as mm. painful as that is, and I think that's where we're at right now. Um, you know, I think we're in the phase of, you know, becoming painfully aware of the impact of these wounds where, mm. which as painful as it is, it means we can start to thaw out parts of that impact that, you know, we had been experiencing kind of a deep freeze around or a denial around. And so that this is like the hard, messy, confusing phase of healing, you know, and I, I lovingly joke with my clients and students that my job is just to help them feel pain, which, you know, doesn't really (laughs) sound all that appealing, but, you know, once we have the right tools and the right frameworks and the right support and the right container to feel the pain, then we can, we don't have to live it, the effect of it. Mm. It's almost like um, where we're in that crack, you know, like in evolution where things are just starting to open up and, and, and the light is, is coming through, you know? Yeah. I agree. I agree. Now there's, I, th- I think one thing that you were talking about there, and I think for a lot of people when it comes to trauma um, and also mental health is, is a consciousness that um, 
it's even there. You know, like there's so many things that we bury so deep that we don't ever want to see again and we don't actually want to talk about ever again. How do we bring that stuff out of the dark and into the light? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, and I think, I think, you know, complex trauma, for example, especially in early development is when it's all we know, right? And Mm. when it's all we know, we normalize it. And so we are highly adaptive and highly resilient. So when we normalize trauma, we start to develop all these maladaptations to that stress, to those adverse experiences, but usually at our own expense, right? Mm. And so, you know, on a deeper level, on a subconscious level, we know something's not right, but we can't put our finger on it because it's all we know, we've normalized it. So then we usually you know, turn on ourselves and make ourselves bad or wrong. That so something's not right and it must be my fault or or I must have to hide a part of myself or perform a part of myself to kind of navigate whatever this big mess is. Um, it's interesting. Like I, as much as I help people heal trauma, I don't necessarily have like do this and then do this and then do this and we'll check these things off the box to resolve it. You know, my orientation is to really help kind of tend the garden and Mm. set the climate to, again, help people plug back into that innate wisdom, right? So innate wisdom is like the intelligence that we have that will heal a paper cut, you know, so that innate wisdom will send platelets and proteins and orchestrate all these biochemical transmissions for that paper cut to heal. And remarkably, it'll do that without us even having to think about it. Mm. You know, it happens in our sleep. It happens while we're having this conversation. So I look at healing as just helping us align to that innate wisdom. So I don't really make it my business to actually focus on people's trauma or bringing the trauma to their awareness or not. It's like the more we bring ourselves into alignment with our innate wisdom, whatever trauma patterns and distortions are organized around it, behaviors, beliefs, coping mechanisms, strategies, I'll start to reformat and realign, Mm. um, you know, as people just kind of come into a greater sense of belonging within themselves. Um, And I find, you know, that's more of a happening than a doing, right? Mm. We kind of support people in growing, in growing in more presence, right? And as we become more present, which, you know, trauma makes us kind of lose our capacity to be present, right? Mm. If, if our lived experiences are too dangerous for us to even inhabit ourselves, you know, we leave ourselves, you know, thing like the bird that flies into a window mm. and drops to the ground, you know, it's in shock. Like it cannot metabolize the impact of flying into the window. So all of its systems just have to fully shut down because that impact is just too great to make sense of. So when we start to get more aligned to our innate wisdom, we can start to make more sense of all of the impacts life has had on us, whether we're conscious of them or not. Um, And I think that's kind of the messy phase we're in now. We're starting to really feel the impact of so much and it can feel like whiplash and we might not even know where all of it's coming from and we might not be able to like map it all out in our minds, Um, Mm. but we're starting to like really feel it. Yeah, and I love what you say there about, you know, like finding your innate wisdom and really your your alignment or your centre, I guess. And and I think that's where, you know, I, what I've experienced is where that, that balance occurs and, and if 
there is an underlying trauma or something that needs to, you know, come to the surface, it will it will come when it's ready and it'll do it in a way that it's meant to. Um, you know, so, you know, through mindfulness practices and meditation and things like that and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, I know I've found things that have come up that you weren't even expecting. It's just like, oh, well, okay, mm, all right, that makes sense now. <laughs> so I think it's when you quiet all that other stuff that's going on for you in your mind and your consciousness and you just are in the present moment, like that is when that balance occurs and, and whatever healing needs to take place will begin. Yeah, I agree. You know, I don't go digging for it. Mm. I don't go, I'm not on a search and destroy mission. It's just continuing to just rebuild a connection from oneself to oneself. Um, you know, I love the imagery of like the body being a symphony orchestra. Well, not just the body, the body, the mind, the spirit. So every belief, every memory, every tissue, organ, cell, bone, is all part of the symphony orchestra. And when we're experiencing health, all these different parts are in a dynamic communication and relationship with one another. So there's just this musicality of being, there's harmony, there's balance, you know, just sweet music. Um, and then trauma sets in, stress sets in, you know, hereditary factors, environmental factors. And as the nervous system starts to short circuit, all these parts that we're communicating with one another start to turn their backs on each other. And so now they're not working as a team. And so that's when, you know, a lot of noise starts to come out, you know, and that noise is our symptoms. That noise mm. is our illness. That noise is our disease. Um, so I think, yeah, the essence of healing is as we align to that innate wisdom, it starts to break up that noise so then that the symphony orchestra we are starts to come back online. And then it has the wherewithal to kind of address an imprint of trauma if necessary, or put it in perspective, right? Get some perspective, get some distance. Because so I find a lot of times our identity will start to get wrapped up in our pain mm. and our wounding. You know, we'll start to then believe that we are the behaviors and the beliefs that are tied into that pain and that wounding. And yeah, the mindfulness-based practice is kind of the mind training to say, oh, here's the pain, here's the wounding, here's the maladaptations to stress that are the behaviors and the beliefs. And here's me, this witnessing consciousness. You know, I may still be at the effect of all of this, but it's not me. So mm -hmm. differentiating between self and experience creates that space and that distance. And over time, then we can start to orient to possibility, but you know, negativity bias, the brain is going to always default and scan for danger and what's out to get us and what's bad and what's wrong. So it's really developing the muscle to then also scan for what's, what's actually going right, mm. <laughs> right now. Because mm. uh, there's actually a lot going right, even amid this storm of what's going wrong. Um, and so the mind training just helps us to kind of realize that we're not that storm, we're not that weather pattern, and we're more the empty sky that's, you know, remains. And that's, it's a practice. It's not a one mm. and done. Yeah, right. exactly. You know, it's just like healing and it's it's never ending, you know. It's, it's that evolution because we evolve every single day. Um, our healing is continuous, you know. Um, it doesn't just, you know, it's like you say, one and done. It's, it's something that is a daily practice that we need to, you know, 
it's just like exercise or any other kind of way of looking after ourselves. It's all part of being human. And yeah, just like, you know, we have other non-negotiables with our physical health in Mm. terms of lifestyle, you know, so if something's going wrong physically, we'll often get it checked out, you know, and it's like if if the check engine light goes on, Mm. you know, we're either, if we have the capacity to look under our own hood, we will, or we're going to pull into a mechanic and have someone else look under the hood. So we're more accustomed to doing that, well, with mechanics, and I actually hate to compare us to mechanics because <laughs> we're living consciousness, but, um, but we're, you know, we're used to doing that for our physical body, but we're not well, yeah, we're not well skilled in doing that or well versed in doing that for our mental and emotional health. Mm. And this this comes back to the stigma, you know. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever been to Australia, Greg, but we Australians are a resilient lot. We be, we've been through a lot. Um, and, you know, uh, each year we face things like floods and bushfires and all kinds of things, um, as well as, you know, other personal traumas. But there's this sort of colloquial spirit here in Australia where, you know, when things go wrong, it's like, yeah, she'll be right, mate. Um, but, you know, when you then talk about things like mental health um, with many Australians, although it's beginning to change, I must say, um, they have that she'll be right attitude or, or yeah, oh, don't be silly or, oh, that's nonsense or, you know, you're crazy or that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, how do we change this mindset to help people understand this This is all part of being a whole healthy human? Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's one step at a time and it's one person at a time. So mm. I find the or I take those steps for me, you know, I start to have eyes to see, you know, other people and other communities and other organizations and um, that are also, you know, doing that work. Um, so then building relationships and community and networks of healing. Um, you know, I've been in conversations with um, just different organizations and companies and, you know, veteran organizations like you know that we're all suffering at the end of the day and so I think it just starts with a conversation with the right person and um you know that that willingness and that openness to you know find new solutions um but yeah you can't help people that don't want help right Mm. so I'm also you know I'm not here to convince anybody they need healing so um but you know, meeting people where they're at and under, you know, starting to understand, you know, what, what are the pain points people are experiencing and what's, what solutions are they seeking? Mm. Um, and, but I also think modeling that, you know, I think when we are on our own arc of transformation and people witness kind of, you know, our, our journey that, that becomes very valuable information Mm. um, that people start to kind of turn their heads a bit. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've seen uh, many people who, who are those people that go, oh, you know, she'll be right or, or that's nonsense, who are actually suffering themselves. And you're like, if only you could see, you know, um, how you could be suffering less. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's quite interesting to see that, that irony in some people. Well, you know, when other people's pain makes us uncomfortable it's touching upon a part of our pain that has yet to be touched right Mm. so 
And that's something I talk about, you know, with my students who, you know, are healthcare professionals that I certify in my work that, you know, because we can have this agenda that we want to fix or heal someone. And, you know, my work is to not have that agenda. My agenda is to just hold neutral space so people can be held and supported just where they're at. Mm. But in doing so, that allows their innate wisdom to come online so they can heal. Um, But again, for me then, and then my students, that takes a lot of capacity to then just sit with someone else's pain and to not want to fix it or change it, but just be present with it. Mm. Um, Because that's in that presence is that we're transmitting a sense of connection and support, which is what's missing, you know, in the parts of us that have been impacted by trauma, you know, because trauma is often a lived experience that is too much too soon where we're lacking support and safety. And so just providing that becomes a a really powerful healing tonic. Mm. And so, you know, I think at least with close, close ones in our lives, that's a way that we can start to transmit healing. um, Even when they're not open or receptive, just being present with them. Mm. And I know for me, um, you know, there were, things that came up for me, uh, particularly when I started to do a lot of research and reading um, into into different types of trauma. Um, and um, there were things that came up for me that I never even had in my consciousness, you know, like things from when I was a child that I was like, well, that makes sense now, you know, and, and now I can take the steps to heal that. Um, you know, and I think the more we equip ourselves and educate ourselves um, on how to take care of ourselves and and self-soothe ourselves. I think that is so important because it actually helps us get on that road to healing a lot faster. Yeah. And, you know, my trauma-informed approach to healing is really just meeting people where they're at. And so something you said kind of just touched upon, you know, you surf things surfaced for you when you were ready for them to surface. Mm. So, you know, we may introduce these ideas of healing to folks where they're nowhere ready for these pieces to surface yeah. or they have surfaced, but they're putting it on the back burner and they're like, nope, we need to let that simmer. We can't put that onto like full heat just yet. Um, it's really also honoring that. You know, I had a client once that came to me and they said, you know, I saw a healthcare professional recently and they told me I had this trauma and, you know, that felt very uncomfortable and I don't think I have trauma and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take people for their word Mm. and, you know, we built a relationship and we built trust and we built rapport and just through the nature of my work and the more they were connecting to their innate wisdom, you know, it didn't take long for them to say, actually, can I share some things, you know, and I, I am actually carrying some of this trauma, but it would have been too destabilizing for them to name that on our first visit. And mm. it was definitely too activating to their nervous system to have another practitioner point a finger at it. Mm. So there's something for kind of honoring the unsayable, you mm. know, some traumatic experience. We are just not ready to articulate. We're not ready to kind of surface to consciousness Um, until we are. And then there's a lot of power and we can reclaim a lot of power when we can speak the unspeakable. Um, But that's, you know, that's happening on everyone's individual timeline. So, Mm. um, you know, as much as I may be present to an imprint of trauma for a client or a student, 
it's not mine to name for them, right? I just get to be present and support them as they start to kind of align more with their innate wisdom. And in that case, sometimes the trauma just resolves, you know, without having to do much labor intellectually, you mm. know, without having to name it, it just kind of gets put into perspective. And, um, and then other times it's really important to have an acknowledgement and to put it to words and to make sense of it intellectually. Mm. And I know, uh, Greg, you do a lot of work around helping people turn their pain into purpose. I mean, how can um, someone get out of that space of of pain and actually turn it into something that makes their life better or helps others and actually brings them purpose? Yeah, I... I love the idea of turning, mining the gold of unresolved trauma, right? There's, Because as we go through a process of healing, we start to make sense and derive meaning from even the most adverse experiences. And, you know, because these imprints, as they impact us, they do change us, right? And, you know, without healing, we could say they change us for the worse. But mm. I think with healing, they can change us for the better. And you know, this idea of post-traumatic growth, right? Which I think helps us derive a, a greater sense of empathy. Um, I think it forces us to take a, a deep look at ourselves. You know, so much of my work is around self-inquiry. And, you know, we can have a very fixed, rigid identity around our pain and our wounding. But on a path of healing, we start to realize that all of these fixed notions of self um, are just concepts, right? Mm -hmm. And we are not concepts. And as we start to derive a, a mindfulness-based practice and live in presence, you know, that's the birthplace of innovation and creativity. Um, so, you know, for me, and I, I see this with a lot of my clients, as we work through these patterns of pain and come to know that that's not who we are and it need not define us, um, it affords us the capacity to kind of access just so much more of ourselves that otherwise might've, you know, rested dormant. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we can sometimes just assume this is life, this is how it is and kind of play by a certain set of rules. And, you know, when we're on a path of healing, it's a, it's a subversive path. It makes us really question everything. Mm. Um, that inquiry really <laughs> helps us open up to a lot of discovery. Um, you know, on the purpose piece, I find that a lot of us are kind of searching for purpose externally. Um, and, you know, I, I find that's often motivated by kind of checking off a lot of boxes extrinsically. And I find purpose is more about just the power of presence, you know, and it's not so much what we do, but who we are. And that that energy of who we are can become a healing force for good. And mm. so, you know, I remember I was taking a, a training in energy medicine many years ago in Mexico. And, you know, that's around the time when I kind of left my work in the nonprofit world and, you know, my whole life and career and purpose changed. And I remember being in a, this training with a woman and she said, you know, I'm still a banker. You know, I still am in this leadership role in a bank and nothing externally about my life has changed, but who I am, that has evolved, right? Mm. So 
now she's doing the same job, but from a, a different place within her. Right. Mm. So, um, and, and I think that's really powerful. And I think a lot of us are looking for these external markers and mm. we might miss, we m- might miss the mark altogether. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring that up because, um, I was actually having a conversation with someone last night and they were talking about how, um, their job is their identity. Like who are they without their job? Um, and uh, I was like, yeah, that's actually a really interesting concept, but, um, and again, you do a lot of work with leaders as well. Um, and when we look at leadership, um, you know, there's a lot of talk nowadays about well-being and, you know, supporting people to be their best and all of that kind of stuff. But there's, again, that stigma, um, that, you know, people are like, no, I'm just here to do a job, you know, don't worry about me, you know, but there's so much in the corporate world that people are holding on to that's actually holding them back. And I think if we can come in as a holistic leader and actually bring who we are rather than just the principles of leadership, um, we can actually inspire people to be far more than just their job. Yeah, 100%. I, you know, I, I look at, you know, my vision is that to be a leader is to be a vessel of healing. Mm. And it's our job to regulate the collective nervous system. And that's where we are creating psychological safety and trust within not only ourselves, but within our team and those we lead and the, the larger community. And that just affords people to be themselves. If people feel like they need to hide and perform parts of themselves, well, that's it's going to really strangle the life out of folks and Mm. inhibit their creativity and their expression and the unique gifts that they have to bring uh, into, you know, the work environment. And so, yeah, I'm finding, you know, a lot of these environments are just breeding grounds for stagnation. They're Mm. not allowing this, you know, open flow of information. Um, And, and that's a shame. And at the same time, I think that is starting to change. You know, I, I look here, I'm in the Bay Area, and I feel like there are lots of wellness programs, which are more about like having a ping pong table and like beer on tap. And like, you know, they're trying to create culture. Again, it's starting at a very basic level. Um, but even those things are can just help people be more human and mm. find a little bit more relaxation. Uh, it's not necessarily <laughs> helping support a deeper level of healing, but it's a start, mm. uh, you know? So yeah, I think there's, there's much more work to be done. Um, and I think it's, I think it's starting to happen. I think this work is starting to infiltrate. Um, yeah. I couldn't agree okay. more. Uh, and you know, like uh, the whole, the whole mission behind this show is actually bringing out those stories and this evolution and it's, it is growing. There is a, there is a bit of a, a snowball effect beginning to happen where people are having those conversations that um, were in the dark, they're now in the light and um, they're making the change that we want to be. Um, Greg, can you tell us if people want to find out more about you, where can they go? Sure. Yeah. Prismamethod.com is where folks can excuse me, learn about my online course and community. So that's kind of a trauma and neuroscience roadmap. Uh, the seven pillars of my system are kind of the drop pins on that map. So people can kind of have the lay of the land when it comes to healing, you know, without traveling blindfolded. And then I offer the somatic and mindfulness-based practices, which is the mind training to kind of really shift into a, a possibility mindset, a growth mindset. 
And the energy medicine is really the vehicle, the component that helps to kind of heal the imprints of trauma stored in the subconscious, unconscious mind and impacting our physical health. Um, so yeah, prismamethod.com. If people want to learn more about me, gregwhiting.com is where, yeah, you can learn more about my history, my background. And I have limited space for folks if they want to work with me one-on-one, I can connect with me there. Awesome. Now, um, Greg, I'm curious, if someone's listening to this right now and they're like, you know, I really need some help because I'm I'm not coping very well um, and I want to try something different and I actually want to, you know, be happier, have a more fulfilling life. Um, what are some of the first steps that you think that they should take? Yeah. So healing is not a one size fits all. Mm. And so I, you know, I think everyone's first steps are going to be different. I think it's important to follow the breadcrumbs that are kind of revealing themselves. So, um, you know, so when I was by serendipity introduced to my friend who introduced me to energy medicine, it's like, okay, something's being presented to me right here. I'm going to explore that. Um, you know, prior to that, my, my healing path was like reading a few books on meditation and mindfulness, you know, like I had a little bit of a spiritual bent, but you know, I didn't even have that word spiritual really in my vocabulary. And for me, nature and music were just ways that live music were just ways that I can like connect to myself. So, you know, starting where you're at. Right. Um, but then seeing how that those breadcrumbs where they take you or how things kind of snowball from there. Um, and not to get discouraged because, you know, you may meet a practitioner or a therapist or a healer that maybe isn't the right match, but that doesn't mean therapy or healing mm. is not the right match. It just might be not the right relationship. And I think that's a key piece. I think it's more the, I think the value of a therapeutic relationship is more to do with the connection, the human connection than the actual tool or modality. So really trust when you have a connection where you feel like you can lean into and develop trust and be, feel seen and feel understood. Um, you know, again, I, I share the practices I share because a lot of folks find me when they feel like they're at the end of their rope. Um, and sometimes the impacts of trauma Although we can do a lot to kind of heal intellectually through talk therapy, there can be a limit to how we can resolve the impacts of trauma stored in the physical body. Mm. So a lot of folks are kind of drawn to work with me when they're like, yeah, there's more to this that I don't want to get caught up in this thinking, talking roundabout. I'm mm. driving around in circles in my own mind. Um, so and I'm all for an integrative approach, right? So that's why I've pieced together so many different wisdoms that I've found value. So um, it's not often a one-stop shop either. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, you've been mentioning energy medicine um, throughout our, our conversation. Um, for those people who don't know what you mean by that, and, and it can mean several different things, um, for you in practice, what does that look like? Yeah, so, yeah, energy medicine for me is the tool that helps me align to my innate wisdom. It's what helps to cut that noise and just help that symphony orchestra realign. Um, you know, so Prisma, the healing system I've developed, um, is applied with Reiki, which is a hands-on practice. Mm -hmm. um, some would call it hands-on um, healing for relaxation, you know, so... Reiki itself uses just touch, although I work remotely now. So really 
the hands are a focusing tool for our awareness. Mm. So I'm working with the students and my clients and touching them with my awareness. And, you know, the research around touch, it calms the cardiovascular system. It ha- There's a marked increase in white blood cell activity. So it's going to boost the immune response. It's going to shift us from that fight or flight, you know, sympathetic nervous system to the rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system. You know, those three things alone are the trifecta when it comes to creating the climate for healing to happen, right? If we're the immune system, the parasympathetic nervous system, and the cardiovascular system start to come in line and form a state of coherence, you know, we're on a fast track to kind of finding a new baseline of balance. So, um, yeah, so Reiki is applied through Prisma, which then helps kind of overlay these other pieces. But another form of energy medicine I practice is called body talk. And that works with neuromuscular biofeedback. It's a subtle form of muscle testing and kind of back to that symphony orchestra model through the nerve, the neuromuscular biofeedback, you're actually tuning into the body's innate wisdom to discern what the priority is to restore internal communication. And so, you know, when the nervous system gets short-circuited and then all of a sudden certain hormones and certain tissues and muscles and certain cell structures within an organ, you know, are no longer communicating. And so body talk helps to restore that communication. So the whole system starts to kind of refresh its awareness of itself in wholeness. So all of this is just helping us remember our innate wholeness. Mm. And as we do, then the body's natural capacity to heal just comes back online. So there's a bunch of other energy medicine practices out there. Those are the the ones I work with. So I can't speak, you know, uh, to anything that I haven't tapped into, but there's many other forms out there. So again, it's like, you know, you may find a teacher and a different methodology that really resonates. So, you know, follow that, follow that thread and, you know, one thing resonates and then it'll lead to another. Mm. So yeah, or not. Yeah. Just listen to that. And I think probably the closest I've come to that, I, I have experienced Reiki, but um, I used to do quite a lot of sound healing, um, which um, was absolutely incredible. If, if anybody has not tried that, give it a, give it a go. Um, not for everyone, um, but you know, if it resonates with you, no pun intended. I gave it a try. Um, uh, that all sounds fascinating, Greg, particularly the body talk. I think uh, I need to have that talk and have a, a reboot. Um, <laughs> but before I let you go, I've got the last big question for you. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really want healing um, to become kind of a household you know, just like everyone has a fridge, everyone Mm. has a TV. I mean, well, some people don't have a TV and not everyone has a fridge, I guess, but, you know, as much of like a household item, a household conversation, you know, um, those of us that are privileged to have, you know, these, 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 um, tools and resources available that healing becomes one of them. Mm. Um, and that we, there's no stigma, right. And accessibility is a big piece. So, you know, um, now that my work is online, it means it's more accessible. You know, I don't have to be one person working with one person at a time. So I want to see this in prisons and in school systems and in hospitals and in government organizations and, you know, working with veterans and, and on and on. Um, you know, the world is screaming for wholeness and, um, and there's a lot of 
healing that is, you know, possible in this, in this current climate we're in. Mm, absolutely. And, and, you know, through that, um, imagine if we could make that happen um, and the ripple effect that that would have, um, you know, particularly in, in, in certain communities, if, if healing on a broad scale could take place and then that then rippled. I mean, you know, they often say hurt humans hurt humans. Well, what do you imagine healed humans do? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and I on that thread, I just had, I was on uh, another person's podcast last week and she um, works in the school systems <clears throat> and they're in a very progressive school environment where they are bringing trauma-informed care and conversations and they kind of are like a pilot school. So um, I was just really, you know, encouraged that this is starting to seep into, you know, a lot of our present day institutions. And, and then that becomes part of our, you know, larger vocabulary and part of the larger conversation and part of the larger consciousness. So uh, I think there's more of this where it comes from. Oh, it is super exciting and I, I can't wait to see more of it. And thank you, Greg, for being the change and being here with me uh, and being a part of the ethical evolution. Thanks for having me, Bendy. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Electric Cast.